0: Good evening, everyone. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture uh, that tells of the enormous impact that this uh, woman's forgiveness had in her life. Uh, Dear God, please help me to explain what it says simply and clearly, and please work in all of our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we would live lives that express our forgiveness too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder, if you could invite three people from any time in history to dinner, who would you choose? Who would you want to talk to? Perhaps you'd like to meet some famous leaders in history, like Captain Cook or Barack Obama, or uh, some famous musicians like Ian Moss or John Lennon. Or a famous sportsman like Don Bradman or Peter Sterling, Well, I play saxophone, so I'd really like to meet some really good saxophone players. I'd love to have dinner with them and talk about how to play saxophone. When I arrived at Bible College, our lecturers asked us to get into small groups of three or four people and together pick three people that we'd like to have to dinner. Uh, This was one of those get-to-know-you type games. It wasn't a bad game and we did get to know each other a bit. The lecturers told us that we couldn't invite Jesus to dinner because otherwise everyone would do that. You know, And that sort of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we're at a Bible college. M- mind you, there are some people who I probably wouldn't invite to dinner. Some people are not very good dinner guests. They aren't polite. They don't make nice conversation. They are sometimes a bit blunt Other people at the dinner table. I think that most of us probably wouldn't invite a five year old to dinner. There might be a few reasons for this, but one of them is that five year olds can say some pretty embarrassing things. One of the most embarrassing things I ever saw was about a TV show about children growing up. It explained that children at about five years of age know it's a very good thing to tell the truth, but they don't quite understand that sometimes we politely say things that ...just aren't quite true. They showed some footage of two women meeting up for lunch... ...and one of the women had brought her daughter. The childless woman had brought a present for the mum for her birthday. The mum unwrapped it and opened the present and it was a vase. And the mum said, oh, thank you very much, that's very nice. But the daughter kept insisting that the mum really didn't like the present. Apparently the mum had got the present before... ...and she'd said it was ghastly and horrible... The mum tried to be polite and say, well, you know, it might have been a different vase. You know, I I do really like it. It's okay." But the more the mum insisted that she like it, the more her daughter insisted that she tell the truth, that she thought it was horrible and awful and that she really hated it. You do need to watch who you invite to dinner. But as most of us get older, we know about being polite at dinner, don't we? We know how to make nice conversation about the sport and the weather. People learn to say those things that everybody else just uses to start a conversation. Learning those skills is just part of growing up. I wonder, would you have invited Jesus to dinner? The Bible College lecturers told us that we couldn't invite Jesus, otherwise everyone would have invited him. But what do you think it would really be like if you invited Jesus to dinner? Do you think he'd sit there nicely and chat about the cricket and the rain, and trying to find a park at run, a mall? Do you think he might be a bit blunt, a bit too honest? Maybe he'd make you feel uncomfortable. Maybe he'd make you or your guests feel embarrassed. Maybe he'd say, maybe he'd say some things that some of your other guests might not appreciate. Maybe he'd challenge you to change. The passage of the Bible that we are looking at today tells us about a time when somebody did invite Jesus to dinner. When Jesus came to dinner, he was very blunt and very honest. He made the host feel pretty uncomfortable and embarrassed. He said some things that other people didn't appreciate. He challenged people to change. This passage answers the questions what difference does meeting Jesus make? This passage teaches us that the forgiveness of Jesus ought to produce thankful love. We'll see a picture of that today, and then we can think about what that means for our lives as well. Let's start by reading verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Uh, At a formal dinner like this in Jesus' day, Uh, Everyone had their own sun lounge. They were basically all laid flat. And each person used to lie on their own sun lounge and prop themselves up on one arm like this. And because people needed to get to the food, uh, the lounges were arranged so that, you know, your head was pointing towards the dinner table and your feet were pointing outwards. And also in Jesus' day, when someone had a banquet, they'd normally leave the door open so other people could just come in and, and wander around and hear the conversations. That's how this sinful woman managed to approach Jesus. To start with, I'll talk about Simon the Pharisee. Pharisees were people who did good things in Jesus' day. When Jesus was on earth, most people thought the Pharisees were pretty decent blokes. And this guy is interested in Jesus. He invites Jesus to dinner. He wants to hear what Jesus has to say. He wants to hear it from Jesus himself. In verse 39 it says the following, When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. Simon didn't just invite Jesus along to dinner to make up the numbers. And that is a good thing. Not only that, but Simon is thinking about who Jesus is. Simon is trying to figure out what Jesus is on about. He's trying to figure out, whether Jesus is a prophet or not. But Luke tells us a bit more about Simon, doesn't he? Luke tells us what Simon is thinking. Simon watches this woman washing Jesus' feet and he's a bit worried by what he sees. He starts to sound a bit uncomfortable. He wonders if Jesus is the real deal. I mean, it would be a bit weird, wouldn't it, if you went out to dinner and some strange woman just came up and started washing your feet. But what's more, she went on to dry his feet with her hair. Simon knew that this woman was a sinful woman in that town. And when people used that phrase in Jesus' day, it meant they were talking about a prostitute. Simon might look like a good bloke, but when it comes to this prostitute, he is judgmental and harsh. He reckons that she is a sinner, but he isn't. Simon is self-righteous and proud and condescending. He knows that this woman is bad news and he doesn't understand why Jesus doesn't get this. Jesus obviously had a reputation as a prophet and prophets were always going on about people needing to repent. If this Jesus were a prophet, why was he letting her touch his feet? That is weird. Prophets were supposed to tell sinful people like this prostitute that they had to shape up or God would ship them out. What is wrong with Jesus here? Maybe he isn't a prophet at all. As the story goes on, we see that Simon is actually pretty rude. In Jesus' day, it was normal for people to have their feet washed when they came to your house for a meal. It was also normal to greet someone with a kiss when they walked in the door. But Simon didn't do either of these things. He didn't do the things that hosts normally do for their guests. We can see that in verse 44. Then he... That's talking about Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus contrasts the woman's behavior with Simon's rudeness. Imagine if someone invited you around to their house and then they sat there and watched TV and they didn't even bother speaking to you when you came in. That'd be pretty rude, wouldn't it? In the same way, Simon is also being pretty rude as a host. So what is Simon's attitude to Jesus? Well, he's keen to figure Jesus out and he does call him teacher. But that's all he calls him. His actions show he doesn't really respect Jesus, And he is selfish and judgmental. He doesn't let his emotions get involved. All he does is think. On the outside, Simon is a nice guy, but he's just looking for a teacher. Someone to help him to live his life better. And I reckon there are a lot of people like that today. People like to treat Jesus as just a good teacher. You know, love your neighbour as yourself. It sounds like really good advice. And I hate to say it, but some people in churches can treat Jesus as just a good teacher too. Sometimes people can treat Jesus as just a good example, somebody that we should copy so we can live our lives properly. That sounds like the sort of guy that Simon wanted to meet. But Jesus wasn't interested in just being a teacher. He knew that Simon needed something much more than that. What difference has meeting Jesus made to Simon? Well, in Jesus' day, criticising the host's hospitality was a no-no. no no You just didn't do it. So Jesus is being really blunt here. By the end of the story, Simon has been challenged and probably embarrassed. But he didn't get some nice teaching from Jesus on about how to fix up a few minor problems in his life. He didn't get some philosophy that would help him deal with life's ups and downs. He got a rebuke, a sharp rebuke. He got what he needed, but he did not get what he wanted. The second woman I'll talk about is the sinful woman. In verse 37, it says the following When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume onto them. What difference has meeting Jesus made to this woman? Well, as we talked about before, this woman is a prostitute. And it's pretty clear that she is totally different to Simon. For a start, she is not worried about what other people think. Simon makes judgments about what other people are like and he expects everyone else to do the same. What other people think is important to Simon. But this woman just totally disregards the embarrassment of the situation despite the fact that everyone will be looking at her She cries on Jesus' feet and she dries his feet with her hair. She's obviously very upset and she does not care what other people think about it. As well, the prostitute's actions show that she is humble. I don't know if you've ever washed people's feet before, but it's not a very enjoyable thing to do, is it? People's feet are often smelly and dirty and it would have been much worse in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the roads had dung everywhere And people walked everywhere and they only wore sandals. Could you imagine what it would be like putting your face next to someone's feet who had been walking around in that all day? I mean, yuck. So in Jesus' day, the job of washing people's feet was left to the lowest of the low, you know, the first year apprentice of the servant world. This woman is really humbling herself before Jesus. She is getting down on her hands and her knees to wash his smelly feet with her hair another big change that has happened is that this woman is thankful in jesus day a man once kissed his lawyer's feet after the lawyer had successfully defended him it was his way of saying thanks in the same way this prostitute kisses jesus feet she was thanking him over and over and over again and her nat and her thankfulness just naturally flows out into her actions as well as that the prostitute poured perfume on Jesus' feet. The type of perfume that she used is really really expensive. Just like today back then women used to use perfume to make themselves attractive. Women used to use that hang those little you know bottles of perfume around their neck to make themselves more attractive to men. As a prostitute, this woman's attractiveness was what got her work. So the fact that she is pouring out her perfume onto his feet It's not just making a costly sacrifice to Jesus. This woman is saying in a way that words never could. You can have this because I don't need it anymore. You see, this woman was turning her back on her old life. It was time to make a change. It was time to start living differently. And this woman was serious about this. The woman's meeting with Jesus shows her decision to live a changed life she would not continue rebelling against God the way that she used to. But there's one more change that comes from meeting Jesus. In verse 48 it says, Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. In verse 50 it says, Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this woman has been forgiven, and she is at peace. While it doesn't sound like she was at peace with the people around her, She has got a much more important peace. She is at peace with God and Jesus reassures her of that. Despite what other people think, despite the judgmental attitudes of those around her, she can have a real peace knowing that somebody much more important has forgiven her, has accepted her, is at peace with her and that is a wonderful thing to know. Isn't that a pretty amazing set of changes in this prostitute's life? One of the things that strikes me most about this is that she is both humble and at peace at the same time. Most of the time when people are at peace in this world, they have assurance, but this often turns into arrogance. I don't know if you know this, but this is a real problem for Bible college students like me. Bible college students often spend a lot of time learning and knowing the truth, and that is a very good thing. But if we aren't careful, we can become arrogant and superior and proud because of what we know. We can be assured and confident, but not humble. And that is a real problem. But this prostitute has assurance and peace, and she is humble at the same time. So why is there such a big difference between the woman and the Pharisee? Why is one person so self-righteous and proud and judgmental and one is so sorry and self-sacrificing and yet is at peace? Jesus explains the difference between Simon and the woman in a parable. He says in verse 41, Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Well, what is the point here? Well, clearly there are two debtors. Neither of them can pay it back. Both are bankrupt. These are pretty sizable debts. And both their debts are cancelled. The word for debt here is very close to the word for sin, which means rebelling against God. Jesus is teaching Simon that both he and the woman are rebels who have sinned against God. The second thing about debt is that someone needs to pay it. And it hurts to pay that debt. Even if someone else pays that debt for you, it doesn't mean the problem goes away because now someone else has to pay it instead. A denarius was one day's wages in Jesus' day. So these debts are about $7,500 and $75,000 how would you feel if someone owed you $7,500 and just never paid it back? That's a fair chunk of money, isn't it? I mean, if that happened to me, I'd probably feel hurt and angry and upset. It would feel unfair, wouldn't it? I'd be asking, why did they take my money if they couldn't pay me back? You see, bankruptcy just isn't fair. Jesus is saying here that both Simon and the prostitute have a debt to pay and neither can pay it. Both of them are bankrupt before God. Both of them need someone else to pay that debt. And that someone else is Jesus. In verse 49 it says, The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? The big question of chapters 3 to 8 in the book of Luke is, Who is Jesus? And that's the question that these guests are asking. The other guests don't understand why Jesus can forgive sins. But he can because he will pay the debt himself. But it will cost him and it will hurt him to pay that debt. It will hurt him much more than just losing a few thousand dollars. It will hurt him so much that he will lose his own life, he will suffer and he will die, and it will not be fair. And don't you think that sort of forgiveness should show itself in a changed life? One of the most amazing images I remember seeing during the global financial crisis was of the chiefs of the big car manufacturers showing up in Washington, DC. They showed up to ask the government for more money because they had too much debt. They were showing up to ask someone else to bail them out. They were asking for someone else to pay their debt. Yet when they turned up in Washington, they flew there in private jets. I mean what was so ridiculous about that scene was that even though they were still they were bankrupt, It hadn't changed their lives. They were still flying in private planes. They were still, you know, getting paid big salaries. They were still living life the way that they used to. It would have made much more sense to start living differently, wouldn't it? It would have made much more sense to lose the private jet, to to stop getting paid so much, to stop carrying on as though they deserve special treatment. They were the ones who were in charge when their company went belly up. If your debt has been cancelled... It's only natural that you are thankful and you start to live a changed life. And that is why this woman loved Jesus. She knew that she was bankrupt. She knew that she could never pay her debt. And somehow she knew that Jesus would pay it for her. Because of that, and her, she loved him and her love showed itself in her attitudes and then in her actions. What is that love like? Her love is a heart that is humble and at peace. She surrenders her whole life to Jesus. This prostitute wasn't just emotionally upset. She was prepared to change her whole life because she had been forgiven, because her debt had been paid. It didn't matter what other people said anymore. She needed to say thank you to Jesus. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, of course she was humble because she knew she didn't deserve such wonderful mercy. Of course she was at peace because she knew that she was forgiven, but not by her own efforts. Of course she was sorry because she knew how big her debt was. Once she had understood forgiveness, her new life made perfect sense. And so Jesus compares the prostitute and the Pharisee in verse 47. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. There are two ways of interpreting the first half of this verse. One way is to say, well, you know, she's loved much, she's done good things, and as a result of that, her sins have been forgiven. But that really does not work. That really does not fit in at all with the rest of the passage, especially with the parable. What this verse is really saying is, her many sins have been forgiven, and I can see that clearly because she has loved much. And that fits in with verse 50, which says, Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus knows, and the woman knows too, that she does not deserve his forgiveness. She is a big sinner, and she has a big debt. But she has trusted in Jesus, and that has saved her. But in response to Jesus' forgiveness, she has thankfully loved him, and that love is there for all to see. Jesus' forgiveness produces thankful love. Uh, for, um, that's the big point that Luke makes in this passage. For this woman, Jesus' forgiveness has meant that she has, you know, thankfully loved him. For the Pharisee, all he wanted was a teacher. But he didn't understand that what he really needed was Jesus' forgiveness. He had be- he'd been forgiven little, and it showed in his life. He loved little. Well, that's a very good story. But how should it affect our lives today? Well, when reading parables, like the one in this passage, it's a good idea to try and figure out who you are supposed to identify with in the story. Who could you be in this parable? We're not supposed to be the moneylender, but instead we can be one of two people, but they are both in debt. I wonder, have you considered your debt to God recently? Have you thought about what it would be like if there are a special video camera and that could take a video of everything that you said and you thought and you did imagine if somebody took that video of your whole of your life for a whole month and then they got that video camera took the video and invited all your friends and family and your work colleagues along and sat them all down and then you all watched the video together don't you think that after a while watching that video would get a little embarrassing don't you think it would make you feel like you wanted the ground to swallow you up You see, our lives don't even live up to our own standards. We live lives that wrong others. We live lives that we are ashamed of. We are guilty. And because God made the world, we are guilty before him. So you see, what Jesus is saying here is that all of us have sinned. All of us have wronged God. All of us have rebelled against our creator. All of us are in his debt. All of us are morally bankrupt. All of us need our debt to be cancelled. That is the first thing that Jesus is teaching us. The second thing that Jesus teaches is that if you trust him, you are rescued, you are pardoned, you are set free from that debt. Jesus died so that our debt can be paid, so that we can be set free, so that we can be declared right with God again, no longer in his debt. If we have trusted in Jesus, then we can be 100% confident that we are forgiven. And that is wonderful news. Wonderful news. The first question I need to ask is, well, have you met Jesus? I I don't mean physically, but have you decided to follow him? Are you trusting him as the prostitute did? Have you recognised your need for forgiveness, for your debt to be paid? It might be more comfortable to treat Jesus as just a teacher, as a dinner guest who can help you out with some nice thoughts and, and good principles, but Jesus knows you are bankrupt and you cannot rescue yourself please don't try to treat Jesus as just a good teacher. Jesus will throw that sort of response back in your face. The next question is, if we are Christians, if we follow Jesus, then what difference has meeting Jesus made in our lives? Are you still living life like the Pharisee? Do you spend your time worrying about what other people will think of you? What about reading the Bible? In Bible study groups, some people know what the Bible means, uh, but they don't talk about how they need to change. Are you like that? Do you think that maybe you are just a little self-righteous? Do you find yourself focusing on the failures and the sins and the faults of others and what they are do wrong and how they are making your life not the way that it should be? Or are you like the prostitute? Have you stopped worrying about what other people think and do you spend time worrying about what, you know, would honour Jesus instead? What about reading the Bible? In Bible study groups, do you spend time studying the Bible and talk about how you need to change? Have you gotten rid of your self righteousness? Do you find yourself regularly saying sorry to God for your sins and your failures and what you have done wrong? I find it very easy to be self-righteous and live life like the Pharisee. But the way to change here is not just to try harder at feeling sorry, to try harder at saying sorry, to try harder at being loving and humble. Just like the prostitute, we change by remembering and understanding Jesus' forgiveness. Jesus' forgiveness produces thankful love. We change as we think through the gospel over and over again. We change, as we recall, the debt that we cannot pay and Jesus' enormous sacrifice for us. We change by reading the Bible and pondering God's big rescue plan day by day. Why don't we spend time this week remembering and pondering Jesus' forgiveness? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that if we trust in Jesus, then we are forgiven, that our debt has been paid and that we can be right with you and have eternal life with you, but not because of our own efforts, not because of what we have done, but because of the death of Jesus. Dear God, please help us today to live life that reflects that truth. Help us to live lives that are humble and at peace and saying thank you to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.